bit out of the book today, on page 62, it says, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of, the, of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, I want to emphasize the self in front of all those lovely words. Self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. If you ever want to check it out, go to the dictionary and look up the word self, and then there'll be a hyphen, and there'll be about 80 other words after it, like describing an, uh, an attribute or an expression of self, and about, I'd say, about 85 or 88 percent of them are negative, and maybe 12 are positive. That's what you're up against, <laughs> really. So, here it's just mentioning a few. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. So there's self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, but there's a hundred forms of them, yeah? There's like different flavors of them. So there's like a broad categories of self-pity, but then there's lots of forms of self-pity. That's what happens with selfing, yeah? To me, the idea of the root of the problem isn't that you're obsessed with self, is that you're identified as self. It's a different take. And it's not as you're identified as self is a verb. The verb I call selfing, its effect is called identification as self. Yeah. So there's a verb called selfing which creates the identification or makes the identification as self. It makes it because there isn't a self. Yeah. There is the mind selfing. The mind is streaming many thoughts that are representing and implying and making and pointing at you being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Every time you look in the mirror, it's reinforced because you see yourself as a body, or at least you look, you're seemingly looking from a body. When you think about yourself in the past, you, you see yourself as a body in the past. When you're thinking about what's going to happen to me in the future, you're thinking about what's going to happen to you as a body in the future. Yeah? So the identification as a body is part of the identification as self. That's a verb, though. That's the beautiful aspect of it, because the verb can be startled into a stopping, and that's what we call a pause in AA. Yeah, the P-A-U-S-E. It says pause when agitated. Selfing is constantly agitated. It's agitated. It's constantly seeking. Yeah? So it's agitated. It's not resting in anything. It's constantly in the mode of seeking. It's always self-seeking. Always. It never stops. Yeah? So it's constantly agitated. So it says pause when agitated. Pause is like when the selfing, in that pause, the selfing stops. And it, the pause isn't of time. It's really a timeless event in what we call time. Yeah? It's usually booked in by a time moment and another time moment, but the pause is not of time. If you've ever been in a pause, a lot can happen in that no time. Your whole, a whole pattern of behavior can change in that no time. Something that you've done over and over again that has jackpotted you very seriously, a pause can be the beginning of the end of that pattern. Yeah? Because you may do something different the next that time. And it all comes out of the pause. It doesn't come out of thinking. It doesn't come out of learning. It, does, it comes out of that pause because that pause is timeless. Yeah? And information can, incredible information can be had in that pause. And it can totally change your life. One pause. I had this one pattern since I got sober. When I was out there, if I was in an intimate relationship, not a casual one, casual ones I was fine with, 
But if I really like somebody, what would happen is every once in a while, not knowing when it would occur, I'd get paranoid. I'd start feeling like she was t- going to set me up or take advantage of me or something like that. And I wouldn't share it with anyone, so it would be cooking really well. And it would be cooking for an hour or a couple hours, and then it would be complied with action. I would actually take it to be true. So the false evidence would be appearing in my head, and my head was apt to take it to be true. Yeah, so that's what they call fear, false evidence appearing real. So this false evidence that, let's say, my girlfriend was out to get, uh, get me finally appeared real, and so I attacked her, yeah, verbally, whatever. Put my big foot in my mouth, and it was very hard to extract, yeah. And it would destroy a lot of things I liked. And uh, I used to think it was based on me doing coke. That was my story. But when I got sober, after about nine or ten months, I met my first fairy princess in AA, who I really, really, really liked. And lo and behold, this came up. I got extremely suspicious. It could have come from the belief that I was less than or whatever. It doesn't matter, the combination. What happened is it triggered a reaction that would be, uh, would be like a big explosion in life. Yeah? And so... This one, I did all the steps about a lot of different things, but this one was persistent. It seemed like it was going to have to burn down to the nub. It was looked like there's nothing that could happen. It was never going to change. And it really changed a lot in me. I didn't want to try to be in a relationship because I knew this would come up and it would eclipse a lot of things. So I just basically hunkered down with the status quo of selfing, and I just, you know, your life gets smaller if you comply to its wishes, yeah? It fears you into inaction. really does, man. I mean, if someone said, didn't say something to you at a party and you took it wrong, and then your solution is never to go to another party. I mean, what a fucking solution. <laughs> this is what the mind offers. It's incredible. When the mind shuts down, it doesn't have any kind of specificity. It's, everything shuts down. And it can shut down really easy, but it can't open up again. That's the dilemma of conditioned mind. It can shut down like that, but it can't open up. Once it's shut, it's shut. Yeah. So this thing was a sort of a drag, and I was on about seven, eight years sober, and then one of the situations, it, it, it was at one of those moments with the new fairy princess. Yeah. There was there, there was that suspicion was e- leaking in, I was feeling paranoid, and I was ready to attack. And there was a pause. Yeah, a fucking unbelievable, an eternal moment in, that was timeless. And in that pause, something happened, there was a shift. Yeah? And I didn't say what I was going to say, and then the urge to say it passed. And it was like a little blip. She didn't even notice it, but it was the changing of my life, because that's never come back since that time. Yeah? Never came back. It was finally done. And, it, and the beginning of its end was in the pause. It was that pause where there was the, the reaction of my mind to the false evidence appearing real, and then its next reaction, which is, let's act out, attack, what's scaring me? And that didn't occur, and then something changed. And my whole life changed out here based on that. Yeah, it was really cool. So the power of a pause is damn freaking powerful. And it's offered to us, because it is a timeless moment in time. And you can live in that pause, actually. You can actually live there. You can live from there. So here, back to this. So, Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, 
seemingly without provocation. But we invariably, which means we usually will find that we had made that, that at some time in the past we had made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Yes? Also, the same thing when I, without provocation, have seemed to hurt someone else. I had made a decision, or there had been a decision made in self, some along, along the past, that put me in that position to hurt that person without provocation. It goes both ways. It isn't like I, something happened to me, and then I see that I made a decision based on self. But when I think the belief that I did something to someone else is based on the same movement. I both movements, being hurt or hurting, all come from a decision based on self. Yeah? That is, when you identify as self, self uses you for transportation, and it expresses itself in your life, and because you're identified as it, you keep calling its expressions yours. So you keep cleaning up after it. And you will continue to have to clean up after it, because it is like a snake. It's the old story where that snake was dying, it was drowning, and a woman sees it and saves it, and then takes it home and puts it in a little shoebox, and then gives it some milk and pets it and puts a little blanket on it and, it, and she restores it back to health, and then she picks it up and pets it, and the snake bites her. And she goes, why did you bite me for? I saved your life. I've been taking care of you for the last three days. Why would you do that? And he looks at it very innocently and goes, I'm a snake. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. So selfing isn't going to change. You can get all the self-esteem you want and all the therapy. It maybe get a little more civilized and socialized. Maybe it won't take out on other people, but on significant others it will. <laughs> you ever had that where you're flipping out on your significant other, but if a stranger walks by, you shut up. But as soon as they leave, you're on them. Yeah. It's, got, it's very important to not lose face, but man, it wants to bite you in the ass big fucking time. But no, it doesn't want to be seen as losing face. Yeah. <laughs> AA says, you know, if you come in here, you've got to be willing to save your ass instead of your face. But when I came in here, I thought my face was my ass. <laughs> I was into saving my image, not my ass, and that's what was killing me. Your image is yourself, is the selfing. Your ass is your spiritual nature, really. And it doesn't need to be saved. It, means, it really just needs to be saved from selfing. This doesn't need to be saving any spirit. Spirit is, spirit is just fine, but our preoccupation with selfing can cause us not to remember spirit. Yeah? It doesn't mean spirit goes away in one's life. It's just that you're not noticing it. Because all your attention and all of your interest is in self. See, when it says in AA, you will lose interest in selfish things in other people, you never lose interest. You only lose interest in things. Interest is a quantity you don't lose. Yeah? No matter how much interest you put into something, you don't lose interest. All we want to do is, is to break the bondage that our interest and our attention is going into selfing and let that interest and attention go somewhere else. You haven't lost one, one ounce of interest and attention. It's just been faithfully given over to selfing. So that interest and attention is now paying attention to all the reasons why you should be worried as hell. And therefore, that interest and attention make the worry seem real. 
The same interest and attention given over to spirit will free you from the bondage of self. It's the same interest and attention that's binding you to the bondage of self. Exact same interest and attention. Isn't, aren't, isn't most of your attention on the thoughts about you in your head all day? Really, isn't it? Unless you do some sport or something, or you go to the, you work out in the gym and you may get some relief for an hour, or if like a catastrophe happens, you forget yourself for a little while, but as soon as the catastrophe passes, what's happening? You're obsessing over what you thought happened in the catastrophe, or how many waves I caught, or all this baloney. It's selfing, 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 selfing and your interest and attention is glued to it. Why is it glued to it? This is the point. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, or it shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. Why is it glued to it? If you're suffering from it, why is it that you're suffering from it? Because I'm not interested or glued to your selfing. If you haven't noticed that. If someone comes and selfs all over you, you're sick of it in about two seconds. Aren't you? You feel you call it dumping or something like that. But you're selfing all day and you're thinking it's incredible. You're totally absorbed in it. Why is, what is the difference? I've, I've, I've done a little like, uh, whatever you call it. I opened it up and I looked at it. The reason why is because the one interest and attention that is bound to selfing is because it's you. You're identified. Just like in this room, we ask, what has defeated us? We'd all have the same answer. Myself. Not self, but myself. Everyone would say, my, in front of the self. Because self hasn't defeated me. Myself has defeated me. The my is the act of being identified as it. That's it. If you're dealing with self as if it's some foreign object that just has something out for you, no. You are in total cahoots with the defeat. You are in cahoots with the defeat. It's your energy that it's using to defeat you. It's your attention and interest. <laughs> Seriously. It has no attention or interest. Selfing has no attention or interest. Selfing is a verb and an object. It becomes amplified by your interest and attention. And your interest and attention is on it because you believe it's about you. I'm serious. That's what I found. You can find it, hopefully, maybe you'll find something else. But what I found by looking at it is what is amplifying the selfing isn't selfing. It doesn't have any juice of its own. It's my own interest and attention that's being given over to it. And why is it being given over to it is because there's a belief that I am that, or it's about me. That's the only reason. Because you can present your selfing, and I have incredible wisdom about it. I can see it from a mile away. You're fucking selfing today. But there I am selfing up, selfing unbelievably, and I don't notice it. Why is it? What clouds it is because of the act of identifying. That's what clouds the dilemma. And when it's in that cloud, it defeats you. That's how it defeats us. We're identified as it. We don't know we're identified as it, so its defeat is thorough. Very thorough. So your attention, even if it's driving you crazy, you seem to still attend to those thoughts, don't you? That's why they're driving you crazy. If your interest and attention wasn't given to those thoughts, they're just thoughts. They drive you crazy because you can't take your attention off them. Yeah? You're addicted to them. On and on and on and on and on. You can't even go to sleep. Your mind's just going off, going off. And you can't break the trance of your attention being glued to those thoughts because they're about you. 
seemingly. But they're not about you. That's the good news. They're about something called self. Yeah? That's the, where, that's the relief I found. The total relief that I found was there was no vanquishing of self. There was a losing of interest in selfing. Why? Because I realized it's not about me. <laughs> it was that freaking simple. It had no virtue in it whatsoever. It was just like I always use that thing. There's a woman I'd like to know, biblically, let's say, in the other room. And I'm hoping she's talking about me to a friend. So I'm sitting here, supposedly here in this room, but all my attention and interest is in that conversation. Yeah? If the surveillance cameras would show me here, yeah? But I'm not basically here if what I really am is interest and attention. It's, I'm attending and I'm interested in what she has to say. So I'm listening, listening, and people are going, Paul, come back here. I'm going, no, oh, don't worry, I'll be right there. I can't see, and they're pulling me, I can't help myself. But as soon as I hear, she says, Matt, my name's Paul, by the way. As soon as I hear, she says, Matt, I lose interest in one second. I don't have to take a workshop, how to get over having interest with this babe and across the way. I lose interest immediately. My interest and attention goes somewhere else, yes? You don't lose interest, and you don't lose attention. You lose interest in. That's an important thing to see. You never lose interest in attention. You just lose it in something. Yeah. So the attention and the interest illuminates an object or a thing. When that stops illuminating selfing, that's the freedom from self. When that starts illuminating your spiritual nature, that's called abidance in the truth. It's the same attention and the same interest. It's just freed from the object it's been interested in and attending to. Yeah? If you're attending to the object of selfing all day, it's going to cause, obviously, an incredible neurosis in you. Because there's this huge, incredible power. It's almost like sunlight on one little, small, irrelevant irrelevant point called Paul. And so there's this huge universe circling around an imaginary planet, Paul. It's going to flip the universe out. <laughs> that energy is going to be, it's going to flip the planet out, really. You're going to be so fucking neurotic. You'll go over something like someone said. They were trying to buy some uh, noiseless Headphones for five hours, you know, going each one. Which is the best one? Consumer Report. And, of course, they get home and they realize it was the wrong one they bought. So now they'll obsess another ten hours tomorrow. This is what happens, yeah? Yeah? We'll obsess over some athlete's behavior if he fucked his wife and didn't say it, or fucked someone else's his wife. But hundreds of thousands of people are dying everywhere else. And yet we're totally fixated on how bad he is when the whole system sucks. <laughs> You know, we'll point out one little thing in, in a minute, amidst the sea of shit. One little turd. Ooh, I don't like that turd. That shouldn't have come out of you. You should have been turdless. You're in a sea of shit. Like, what's this Jesus, I think, said, you know, take the thing out of your eye before you judge someone else. This place is, we're swimming, we're up to here in it. I mean... We're a bunch of frauds. We're thinking we're something that we're not all day. And we're scared shit of that. It's, we're not that. Self is so scared to be revealed not to be you. So it totally, totally, its whole system is based on you not being here. What's your thoughts? What are your thoughts about, mostly? 
They're about the past or future, yes? Do you ever really sit here and think about the moment? Only to compare it with a mythical moment, either a past one or a future one. You never think about the moment because there's no need to think about the moment. It's revealing itself right now. Yeah? And what, in this revealing of itself, of the conscious contact, what's obviously absent is self. There's no you that's hearing anything. There's an ear that hears. And it's not the ear that hears. The ear facilitates consciousness hearing. Without the animating principle in you, there would be no conscious contact. When I was young, you know, I, had, I say this a lot, but it was a big hit on in my life. Uncle Fred, who I really liked, because he gave me money at relative parties, he bought me off, literally. It's the only reason why I like Give the old behind the back. Don't let your mother know I gave you five bucks. Don't worry, Uncle Fred. So then he died. I was only nine years old, and my mother took me to the funeral. And in Catholic funerals, they have open casket, whatever. And so she took me to show, you know, say my last goodbyes to Uncle Fred. And I got up and I looked at Uncle Fred and I realized, that ain't Uncle Fred. It was clear as day, Uncle Fred had vacated the premises. Yeah, That was a body and had nothing to do with Uncle Fred. I was looking at it as Uncle Fred because I thought I was this body. But when the evidence that the animating principle had left, that was not Uncle Fred. And if you would have taken the eye out of Uncle Fred's head and put it in a live body, there would be seeing. Uncle Fred had never been seeing, had never been hearing, had never been feeling, had never been tasting, had never been touching. The animating principle touches, feels, tastes, smells, and sees. Yes? Conscious contact is what's happening here. I am not in conscious contact. I am conscious contact. The idea of being in conscious, conscious contact is the first act of selfing. Because what selfing does, whatever it comes in contact with, it takes advantage of. Yeah? The first thing it comes in contact with is conscious contact. So it goes, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. And from that point of ownership, your story begins as a self. And then every moment you're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, it doesn't say it anymore because there's a belief underneath it that I'm the seer, I'm the hearer, I'm the feeler, and that I implies this, yes? I as this am seeing, I as this am feeling, I as this is hearing, and it's not true. There's just seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. If you had amnesia and you had lost all idea of being Paul, you'd still be seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. There's no need for a Paul or a Christian or a Bill to see, hear, feel, taste, touch. That is an interpretation by conditioned mind. That's called selfing. So it starts out with claiming that, then it claims the body, then it claims time. This is my past, my future. Then it claims everything it's in contact with. So you, let's say today, let's say this week you have 20 problems, yeah? 20 problems this week. So here, let's say there's five. Five problems. Let's say Monday, five problems. What's the center of them? You, yeah? Tuesday, eight problems. What's the center of them? You. Who's having the problems? Every day there's a problem. Let's say in a week you have 80 problems, and now you have, let's say, 20 years, so you have 8,000 problems, but there's always only been one on the other side of the equation. You. Yeah? 
20,000 problems, you is the only one that's having them. Yes? Why would you waste time going through the 20,000 problems? Why not you go to the one who has the problems? If you're not that one who has the problems, you'll have relief from all the fucking problems. That's what I'm trying to share with you. You may not possibly be the self that has all these problems. Yeah? Why would you want to work on all those problems? Because self will just generate more problems. <laughs> That's what it does. Yeah? Because problems to self is like a mirror. It reflects how relevant you are. You think mirrors are like glass or whatever that you get a reflection of. Everything's a mirror here. Yeah? Problems reflect the relevance of being a self. The more important the problem, the more important the self that has it. Yes? The more drama and misery caused by anything out there, the more dramatic and miserable the self is. More relevant. More relevant. The more relevant it is, the more important it feels. The more important it feels, it feels like it's alive. It actually feels it has a life. But it doesn't have a life. It's just taking over yours. And it's interpreting it the way it wants to interpret it. And I don't believe that its way of interpreting it mits fits well with what you really want out of life, which is to be happy, joyous, and free, like it says in our book. The higher power's intent for us is for us to be happy, joyous, and free. I don't think the self's intent for us is that. If it did, I'd see a lot of happy, joyous, and free people here right now, and I don't, unfortunately. So. I do see you, you know. You're very happy, Joyce. But for narrative effect, I have to say, you know, not much happiness, Joyce. Because that's not its intent. Yeah? Its intent is to get reflection that it's real. And it does, I think it gets more reflection out of drama and misery than it does out of joy. Because joy actually reveals its absence. When you're feeling joy, you think it's a you, but that's the narrative after the joy is gone, usually. Then you go, oh, I really felt a lot of joy. But while you're actually feeling joy, there's no you that's ever feeling it. It's the absence of a you. But when the joy goes, then there's a story about you felt the joy. That's what it does. It claims, yes? Whatever happens, it claims. So if you have an epiphany, which obviously you had nothing to do with, have you? Have you ever made a reservation for an epiphany? <laughs> I'm serious. Have you really? No. I know one's coming on. I know it. I can tell. I can see it from Kansas. It's coming. A big epiphany. No. It just surprises you in your little linear trance, and you get an event of timelessness. You're unadorned as self, and then there's a freedom there. That's unbelievable. What happens is, at one point or other, usually what you call the end of the epiphany... <laughs> Some thoughts arise, and you listen to them, and it goes, Oh, I just had this incredible experience. <laughs> so the self claims the epiphany, which neuters it, and now you have an epiphany to put up on a little mantle, your little spiritual mantle, and then compare your epiphanies with other people's epiphanies, as if you were like a big game hunter. Oh, look at this epiphany I shot in India. It was, it was a difficult one. I had to struggle with joy and freedom for hours, but I could look at it. No, it's not like that at all. You didn't have it, nor did you ever going to have it. You're not going to claim it. It's not, it has nothing to do with you. It's just something that... It's like a living pause, again. That's really what it is. The pause, to me, is like a huge portal of timelessness that anything can come through. Total changing in, of behaviors in your life, freedom, all that stuff comes in that pause. An epiphany is just a big pause. You know? 
I don't want to call it a big pause. It just seems like it was longer in time. So what I found with this is when I, when I started to see, the first thing I saw was the thoughts I was having weren't, I still believed I was having them, but I saw them as alcoholic thoughts instead of mine. And I got a big relief from that. And that's what I'm sharing. That's one of the first things that hit me. Because I was sitting in meetings, I heard people share, as we, we do, and we talk about what? Our thoughts and our feelings and our reactions to life, yeah? And then they meeting. And after a few months of going to meetings, I came to two conclusions. Either a lot of people have my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life, or they're not mine. They're not my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions. They're reactions and feelings and thoughts, but they're not mine. And then the first thing I called them were alcoholic. Yeah? I couldn't make the leap to... I, it was like a stepping stone to freedom. So I started seeing the thoughts at least as alcoholic thoughts. Yeah? Because everyone was sharing the same thoughts and the same feelings. And you know that thing that I never wanted to share with anybody, that heinous act? I heard someone share it at the 12 o'clock meeting. And another person at Thursday night meeting. So... Everyone was basically doing what I thought only I did. Everyone was thinking just like I thought only I thought, and everyone was feeling quite similar to the, only, the way I only thought I felt. So that sense of terminal uniqueness was lifted, man. And terminal uniqueness is an incredible form of isolation. It's incredible. You can be in a huge group, but it isolates you from them. Yeah? It's perfect. It doesn't have to have you in a closet or in your own bedroom. It can isolates you here by you thinking you're terminally unique. That's what selfing does. Because then you're not open to entertain the medicine here because you don't think it applies to you because you're a special case. But you're not. You're a run-of-a-mill alcoholic. <laughs> Literally. But terminal uniqueness wants you want to find a different formula than the one that's offered to alcoholism. <coughs> so that hit me. It's unbelievable, because then the same thoughts were going through my head, but less attention and less interest were following them. Yeah, because I knew they weren't mine. They were alcoholic. See, the love affair you have with everything is it's about, because it's about you, really. <laughs> your relationship with that woman isn't what you're really in love with. You're in love with you in the relationship with that woman. <laughs> it's the you that you're finding an incredible amount of interest in. And if you're not that, then the interest gets, loses, not any interest, but loses that bondage to it is broken, and your interest goes somewhere else. Can you imagine if your interest and your attention was freed up from selfing, and then the higher power would, would direct it? Where would the higher power direct it to? I would say happiness, joy, sense of freedom. Where is self going to direct it to in being special and right? Usually alone. Check it out. That's what it does. If your interest and attention is given over to selfing, where do you think it's going to take you? You're going to be right. You're going to be so fucking pissed off at certain people, but you'll be right about it. You'll be justified. You'll probably be alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'll be feeling special. Maybe not so special now. When this is given over, that interest and attention is given over to the higher power, what you're led to is happiness, joy, and freedom. But not as a goal, but as a way of life now a form of traveling, not a goal, a 
form of traveling. I call it traveling later. Yeah, it's a form of traveling. Just It's talked about in AA so fucking much. You're going to have a new attitude, a new outlook. You don't need a revamped old attitude and old outlook. You need a new one. <laughs> You've got to put the old one down and the old because it doesn't fucking work. You're going to have a new freedom and a new happiness. Not the happiness and freedom you call about, you call in this place, but a new one. You're going to comprehend the word serenity. And you're going to know peace. What do you mean? I can comprehend the word serenity. No, comprehend it. Literally get it. Because you'll be living it. You won't have it. It's not something you can put on the mantle. But it will be living as you, through you. You'll get to know it by the living of it. You don't get to know it by studying it. Because studying it is like dead, it's a dead specimen. You get to know it by living. Yeah? That's what being is. Being is known by living it. It takes much, it's longer, it's a longer study because it, it demonstrates through you and your mind's not used to picking up a verb. It's not used to picking up what being feels like. So you may be going on for months and you finally realize, usually like in AA it says, other people will know you're doing better than you do. They'll say, hey man, you're looking so much better, everything's like that, because we're really out to lunch. Yeah, really. And yet, but after a while, the intimation of that freedom will come through, yeah? And you'll get a sense of what's actually happening. And it's what it is, it's, it's a happening, but not a to you. Life is happening, but not to me. Life is happening, which is what's going on, to me is a point of view, based on selfing. Yeah? To me is the point of suffering, isn't it? Life is happening. To me, it's a bit different story. I have a big opinion about it when it's happening to me. I'm flowing with it when it's just happening. But when it's happening to me, no, it shouldn't be happening to me. And then I try to argue with reality, and if you do, you lose. Because yeah? uh, reality has, doesn't give a fucking shit about your opinion. Has it, ever, has it ever demonstrated it gives a shit about your opinion? Has it? Has it mine? <laughs> Maybe I didn't have the right lawyer. You know? But it didn't seem like they were buying my case when I was putting it out there. So, then I, when I saw that, when I saw that thoughts weren't mine, I felt freedom from it. So I was on to something, yes? Then I heard some different invitations, and I brought it back to AA, and I realized, Jesus Christ, the root of the problem isn't obsessing with self. The obsession with self is how the real problem is reinforced. Yeah? The real problem is identification as a self. The obsessing around self reinforces the identification. That's its own purpose. Its true purpose is to reinforce the identification. It doesn't care if you work on the obsession with self because that turns into an obsession with self. See, it's such an incredible, tricky little thing. If you really get into trying to change self, that's obsession with self. So you'll try to get obsessed about getting over the obsession with self. But it's different when you, when you direct yourself to the identification of self. Because when you lose the identification of self, you lose identification of self. It doesn't get turned into an identification. You see? When you try to work on obsession with self, it can actually be a form of obsession. But when there's a breaking of the identification of self, that's all it is. There's not a re it's not a more of an identification of self. When there is a break in the identification of self, you know by the fruit that something's occurred. Yeah? You 
know it. Because a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. You start traveling lighter, and you start outshining circumstances and situations, and the proof is in the fucking pudding. There's not an opposite. So when I'm getting, trying to get out of self, I'm actually being in a self. But when the act of identification is broken, there's no recoupling. Yes? That's the beauty of it. There's freedom. There's freedom there. Not freedom that's a tricky freedom that gets twisted into bondage, but a real freedom. Yes? Because you have the cause point. Obsession is just an effect. So you trying to not obsess is also an effect. Yes? Both reinforcing the cause. But if you get to the cause and you tell the truth about it, you can expect real lasting, long lasting relief. That's what I discovered in this little revelation. And that's why I come here three times a week to offer it because I have a great assurance in its validity, let's say. Because I've worn it for years. It's like all terrain vehicle, it works pretty well. Yeah, outshines most circumstances and situation. If it's not outshining all, it has the potential to do so. Yeah, and they have to grow into it. It can be uncomfortable at times because you think you really want to be rid of that misery, but you're very familiar with it. You really do. Like the, you ever hear those tricky statements where they say, you're not afraid of the dark, you're really afraid of the light. It's truly like that. You're really not afraid of your life being bumped out. You're quite selfing loves that. It's comfortable there. What it's really afraid of is light. Yeah? Freedom. You hear it at meetings a lot. People will talk about a moment of freedom, but they always bookend it. Oh, but I'm still crazy. They have to keep <laughs> pledging allegiance to the identification itself. They can't be brazen and just say, hey, I'm fucking recovered. Yes? I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. Where's that impending doom? I've said it. Boom! I'm supposed to get whacked. That's the thing we learned when we were kids. The fear of, you know, you're going to get punished for asking for what you want. No, man. Have some balls. <laughs> Take your shots. Because it's not freedom for the self. It's freedom from it. Freedom for self is, is slavery. You'll be busy doing it all your life because it will just gobble up all the freedom you bring it. Every bit of knowledge you bring it, and if it claims the knowledge, it will avail you nothing, like it says our book. That's its major movement is claiming. If you learn about self as a self, it's going to be more painful than ever. You'll realize why it was actually a pretty good strategy to be ignorantly blissful of that fact when you're out there because it's fucking painful when the self is revealing itself to the self. <laughs> Fuck. No way. <laughs> I mean, when you see the length of that beast, the, from the head to tail, it's amazing if you're not it. <laughs> but if you're identified as it, it's painful as hell. Yeah? How vindictive and small and petty the self actually is. Yeah? It's almost like that Old Testament God you know, in the Old Testament, they said the God seen. I'm a jealous God. I'm an envious God. Don't put another God in f before me. I'll smoke you if you don't do this. Sounds just like my head. It does. It does. Vindictive, jealous, insecure, punishing. Sounds just like myself. So, I don't 
know, for me, AA is an incredible foundation for this, yeah? Because it gives you opportunities to have examples of what it feels like to be out of self. We call it service and helping other alcoholics, yeah? And it's the main engine of our whole program. And once you get out of self, something usually happens. For me, I have it down now as a, a way of explaining it. But I would feel bigger when I help somebody, yeah? Or larger or lighter. When I, I came to the conclusion, it was like I was available, finally. Instead of being up myself's ass all day, I was actually available to another person, and it felt fucking great. I may not have liked what was going on, like driving them to a detox or, or going to Azanam, which is a big detox in the city, and listening to people share of the plight they had and everything. But what would occur was very liberating. I felt available. And then I sensed the presence that we call here higher power. Yeah? I sensed the spirit. So what would happen is that would be claimed once again by selfing. So then I would lose it, and then I'd have to do it again. And AA gives you all this formal way of doing it. It's so beautiful. Doing it from the point of view of being a self. But the result may not be that. See? After a while, with the self claiming it, that, oh, I'm feeling this presence by doing this service, but one time, all it takes is one time, the service is done, there's a sense of availability, and there's the feeling of presence, and your mind may just entertain, I am that. I am the presence. I'm not Paul, this body that's having this experience of the presence. I am the presence. Yeah? When that starts happening, and it may last a long time or just start in spurts, but then, when you're the presence, you're always available. Always available. And when you're always available, you're of service. Even against yourself's will, you're of service. You're on call all the time. Yeah? And that's the joy of fucking living. That's living the, the statement AA of give, you have it by giving it away. What's giving it away but something that's available? Privatization is making something not available and then charging money for it. Literally. Isn't that what it is like? You're, something that's available, we're going to make it not available, so if you want it to be available, you have to pay me. Or you have to go to this seminar or do this workshop. But in this sense, you have it by giving it away. Because in the availability, it's being given away. And that's being of service. The greatest service I can do for you is to sit in the certainty and hold the space that you're not what you think you are by entertaining that I'm not what this thing is thinking I am. That's the greatest service you can do for anybody in my book. Is to reflect the spiritual nature of the other person. So hopefully they're not fooled again anymore by the selfing. You're not a body. You're not seeing, the body is not seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. And the Paul, that is a thought, is definitely not the seer, the hearer, the feeler, the taster, and the toucher. Conscious contact is what I am. I am a verb, just as the higher power is a verb. Yeah? That's why they call it presence. It's not wasn'ts and willens. It's presence, yes? It's presence. There's no past and future in a verb. It's an active present tense verb. And you are that. We have a story about being a noun, a body, 
which causes all the verbing that goes on to have some direction and come at us, and when we process it, it gets stuck, and we become a storage unit. And that's why diseases and everything else and fucking all these incredible mental neuroses occur. Where you can be fixated on the hem of your pants for eight hours. Jesus, that's a mind-boggling demonstration of true obsession, I think. Yeah. So. so then after I did that, I started to feel that these aren't my thoughts. And then I realized, really... The way thoughts are held are two ways. Either I'm the thinker of them, yeah, or they're about me. I don't say it anymore, but that's how they're held. So every thought that's noted in consciousness is held with the belief that I'm the thinker of it, meaning Paul, or they're about Paul. That is where all your interest and intention is hijacked. All your interest and attention is hijacked by the claiming of life happening through you, yeah, to be life is happening to me. So all the attention and interest that could go into life goes to you as the one who has a life, and that's flipping you out, actually. There's just too much juice. It's like when you're a kid and you want to look at a bug and you got the magnifying glass and the sun was on was behind you, and you your intention was to look at the bug, but you burn it to death. <laughs> That's the same thing. You're obsessed with self, and it's like a magnifying glass, and this powerful thing gets put on this idea of self, and you flip out. (laughs) You want to pull that magnifying glass away and let that interest and attention be directed by something else. Yes? Because another thing we do is we give meaning to things here. That's what we do, eh? That's a perceptual reality here. Monday, this is a problem to me, let's say. Let's say it's in my way. I'm feeling bad, Monday it's a problem. The next day, Tuesday, I'm feeling good, it's not a problem. The next day, Wednesday, I'm feeling bad, it's a problem again. What is it? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It's seemingly a problem, which means it appears to be true or false to me. That's how we give meaning to things. And the meanings are going to come from a point. Whatever you believe you are is going to be the distributor of meanings. So we believe we are called self, which is the center of a system of thought and interpretation called self-centeredness. And one of the ways to explain it is you see everything as how it pertains to you. Yes? This is called self-centeredness. Then self-centeredness gives your life the meaning it has. And then you react to it as if it's real. And that's why it sucks. Because all you see and feel and think is the same old, same old. You're rehashing every feeling, every thought, every reaction. You're doing the same, same. You haven't changed at all. It's just regurgitating over and over and over again. Maybe put on a different dress and a different person and a different location, but it's the same, same. You know? If you go to Thailand three days, it seems like Burlingame. California. If, wherever you go, you'll get, it's like you are, let's say life is this giant canvas and all these colors are being splashed around on it. But you're a color giver also. And let's say that color is yellow. So every time you see life, you splash all this yellow on it and everything gets this yellowish tint. Everything is distorted by the yellow that is projected out by you. That is the self-centeredness giving your life a meaning. But again, realizing that this is what this thing does, if I surrender this meaning giving, 
over to, to the care of something incredibly powerful, more powerful than self, then what will happen is, when colors are happening, this may just want to just let all the colors be just as they are, called acceptance, yes? And maybe it'll be a lot nicer picture than the one you're fucking painting over. <laughs> you know, I found it to be, yeah? Because it's totally okay with the colors as they are. But you're not okay with them because you've never even seen them as they are. You've only seen them as you see them, and that's not as they are. They are that is not as they are. They're just as you see them. Yeah? <laughs> so, in AA, i got ten more minutes. I've got to pull out another one. All right. Here we go. In AA, there's an old book called uh, A New Pair of Glasses, right, by Chuck C. I never read it, but I like the title. <laughs> and a new pair of glasses signifies a new way of looking. And if there's a new way of looking, there was probably an old way of looking that demanded a new way of looking. The old way of looking we call alcoholism, which is just a subdivision of self-centeredness. Everyone has a distorted way of looking at things. Everybody. Everybody is suffering, is recovering from something. Yeah. So there's alcoholism. So this is a way of looking. I get a new pair of glasses so I can see it in a new way, yes? And this new way of glasses starts changing or affecting the distortions of the old way of looking. And I start feeling a little better because the distortions of the old way of looking are getting corrected by the new way of looking. Yeah? But the old way of looking created a dependency on it. You became identified as that way of looking. You thought it was you looking that way. Yeah? You never think that it's, you never think when you take an al alcoholic AA look at something, you never think it's your way of, you know, I'm looking that way. You realize you've learned it from AA, yes? And then it gets infused in what you call your way of looking. But, so here's this way of looking called self-centeredness. It creates a dependency on it. The new way of looking is really cool. It, it corrects the distortion of the old way of looking, and it actually has a possibility of not being dependent on it with the hopes that you'll see the value in this way of looking, but you'll take them off so that you can actually see again. Because your natural seeing is being distorted by any way of looking. A good way of looking is meant to lead you back to the natural way of seeing. That's a real damn good way of looking. It knows its limitation, but it knows your unlimitedness. Yeah? It's attempting for you to tap into your unlimitedness. And so the way of looking leads you to the point where it can't go any farther, and it leaves you to the possibility of seeing again. Yes, that's the freedom that I believe AA has to offer. Not as AA, but it leads you because you are that freedom. You are it. You're just bound by the parasite of alcoholism now. We need to learn how to get freed from that bondage. When we're freed from that bondage, man, the sky's the limit. You can entertain incredible possibilities. And what, can, what meaning can be given to life through you is unbelievable. You can actually, just like if you dropped an alcoholic into heaven, it could be hell in a day. The same thing, you drop a free, someone who's been freed from alcoholism, he can be dropped into hell and it will be heaven that day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Possibility. So we're in like an open, you know, to me, AA caused me to become a free-range alcoholic. <laughs> I know where the coop is, but I don't have to live in it anymore. <laughs>
site called Zen Bitch Slap. has tons of talks you can download for free because I do a lot of talks. Yes, zenbitchslap.com. And uh, I believe, you know, one thing I found, repetition is helpful because these are not, these are not typical ideas self-centeredness entertains, yeah? So it's nice to introduce them to, keep introducing it, yes? Yeah. So... Intellectually, I'm hearing you. Yeah. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, but when I leave here 10 minutes from now, I'm going to be selfing again. No, you're not. That'll just be selfing. You'll never did selfing ever. <laughs> you're the witness of the selfing. You're not the selfing. Your head will be selfing, maybe, but you won't be. What, what do I do to change that comments? <laughs> 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 yeah, help someone else. Yeah, go to maybe stay at the 10 o'clock meeting or see if there's a newcomer out there and see what happens. And then just see what happens when you're out of the preoccupation with self. Yeah. When it says we'll lose interest in self, you don't lose interest. You lose interest in it, in self. You, in other words, you lose interest in the, the subject. You don't lose interest. That interest goes somewhere else, yeah? And you really, your life is really illuminated by the attention and interest that where it goes. When it's freed from selfing, it'll go somewhere. So yes, right now it's intellectual, because that's the mail slot. That's how most people receive everything now, is they think about it, or it goes to the head. So we slipped it in. But the envelope may be conceptual. What's inside it isn't conceptual, and it's already in the system. So you come back, or you don't, and maybe you'll run into a book, and you go, hey, that sounds just like that guy was saying. And now things will start conspiring against your selfing. Life is I got a, like a little plan maybe for you. <laughs> Strap yourself in; it could be a good ride. Because that's what happened with me. Once this thing was entertained, man, all the coincidences and the choreography of this place seemed to be pretty magical in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. There's a power much greater than self available here. Much greater than self, and it's you actually. <laughs> I hate to break the news to you. <laughs> it's your power that's illuminating the engine of selfing. If you would retract it by mean not by giving up your identification as it, selfing would lose momentum. It would speed up with its final thrust, maybe, but inevitably it loses momentum because it's running on your juice, yeah, which is attention and interest. So yeah, if you want examples of what it's like, help someone else, and for that ten minutes, make them more important than you. And see what happens. You'll feel better. That's what blew my mind out in my life. When I was in, I was in this drug and alcohol program for two years, Delancey Street. Lived there for two years. They had a, they supervised me every second of every day. <laughs> when I left there, I didn't like them, you know, <laughs> the president. But I graduated. I was on good terms with them. But I didn't like the whole idea of institution. But I had to admit that my life looked better than with them running it than it ever did with me running it. And I learned a big deal. What's killing me is the vested interest that my mind has in my life. 
You would think that if I had vested interest, that would promote me. But actually, it's what destroys me here. I could turn my life over to a dog catcher, and he would do a better job with me. I could look at this whole room. Well, I wouldn't turn my life over to everyone here, but there's some people I would. And I feel much more confident that they, they would do a better job with me, with my life, than I do, because they don't have a vested interest in me. Yes? It's the vested interest that was killing me. I, had the, I thought the exact opposite. I thought the vested interest was what was promoting me, but it's actually killing me. It's weird, eh? Seriously, you could pick a stranger, and if you surrendered your life to them, your life would probably look better in two weeks than it does now. And you've been thinking and mulling over it for years. <laughs> hey, Joe, will you take over? Yeah, two weeks, hey, it's a lot better. I'll sign me up. Man. Joe, manage my life. I'm not managerial quality. Joe, manage my life. Whatever you say, that's why people do with sponsors. If they take the sponsor's suggestions, they get results that they wouldn't get from their own head. And their life goes better if they follow the suggestions. If they don't follow the suggestions, there is no sponsor or sponsee. I want to share this. This is very important to me in my fellowship. There is no sponsor or sponsee without the verb of sponsoring. There is no sponsor or sponsee. What makes a sponsor or sponsee is the verb of sponsoring. A sponsor is, gives a suggestion. If the suggestion isn't followed and checked out, there's no sponsoring going on. It doesn't matter, oh, I have a sponsor. No, are you having any sponsoring? Well, I haven't seen them in three months, then you don't have a sponsor. And if you have a sponsor or a sponsee that you haven't seen, then you're enabling them to have a story that they're getting the medicine when they're not. So I fire them. Because there, there's no sponsoring going on. I'm actually not serving them at all, being their sponsor. Because there's no sponsoring. Yeah? And you don't need a title for the sponsoring. We're sponsoring all day. Yeah? But without the verb, there's no noun. So, yes. All right, we'll end with uh, serenity prayer. Eh?